Welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci. This podcast series is dedicated to taking the mystery out of women's hormonal issues and struggles. And the title of today's podcast, Exercise, Diet, and Body Image, A Slippery Slope. We live in a fast-paced society that places tremendous emphasis and perpetuates perfection in appearance. Being fit has become synonymous with success. Exercise and healthy eating are intended to enhance the quality of our lives. These are lifestyle choices that are intended to nurture us, body, mind, and spirit. So how do we find the middle ground? How do we create balance and a healthy attitude around exercise, around food, and the beautiful shapes and curves and lines of our lovely bodies? We also live in a society of extremes and an all or nothing approach. So again, how do we cultivate a healthy mindset? Because for many women, it has the potential for becoming a very slippery slope. What happens when someone crosses that line? When exercising a few days a week becomes compulsive, or one starts working out too hard and not giving enough recovery time between workouts. When does a woman cross the line when her consumption of food becomes restrictive or intermittent fasting turns into an eating disorder? And when does a woman cross the line when she cannot stop seeing herself as being flawed in appearance and the distortion of body dysmorphia becomes her inner guide to self-worth. So to continue the conversation today, I'd like to introduce two incredibly awesome guests. They're both highly knowledgeable individuals in the world of fitness and exercise, and they totally get the journey about women. So my first guest I'd like to introduce is Daphne Yang. She's from New York City. She has been on the fitness scene for 13 years. She's a certified personal trainer and the creator of Hit It. It's a high-intensity interval training workout. So Daphne, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I want, I'm going to introduce you and the, uh, my podcast listeners to Rob Spragus. He is also a certified personal trainer for, what, the past 11 years? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And he is an incredible fitness coach um, for Orange Theory here in Charleston. He's at the Mount Pleasant location and has a very rich background in exercise ph- physiology. So, Daphne, I would... Well, and Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you I'm for so, having me. I'm so excited. I can see I kind of bypassed you and saying okay. hi. Um, but Daphne, I would really like to start the conversation. Um, you and I spoke a few weeks ago, and uh, it really helped to shape the direction of today's podcast. And you know, when we spoke, you shared your experience of sliding down that slippery slope a few years ago. You had been approached by a very well-known home exercise bike company to become one of their trainers, and they had requested that you lose 15 pounds. So if you'd like to share your story around that. Absolutely. Um, so my journey began in the health and wellness industry many, many moons ago. So in this 
wonderful world of health and movement and wellness. Um, I started when I was 22. So this was 13 years ago, right after I graduated college. Uh, that being said, I have always had a passion for health and wellness because I, I had developed a belief many years ago uh, and kind of realized that when you do nurture your body, you actually do feel better mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And so when I did enter the fitness space, that's what I wanted to create. I wanted to create a culture, a vibe. Um, I wanted to create the mission statement of my own brand and my own, uh, of my own business that my why or my reason for doing it was to empower others, was to teach others. Um, however, that being said, I was still also going through a healing journey myself. Uh, I grew up in California and growing up as an Asian American female in a predominantly white city and throw that in with what I perceived to be struggling with my weight and becoming aware of it at a very early age. And so developing some diet mentality starting around five, age five, um, uh, there were always some things that were lingering that had not healed. So <laughs> we'll jump to 2017. And I was approached by a very well-known fitness company that is a tech company involving cycling and also involving videos at home. And initially they reached out to me to begin the meeting and audition process to bring me on as one of their trainers. And I was very honored. I felt very recognized. I felt like, oh, this is what I'm put here on this earth to do. I felt like, oh, this is what my entire career has been leading me towards. I will do anything to get this. I will literally do anything. So I, so this was in 2017, the meetings began, everything did start off very positively, but it did take a quick turn pretty fast. However, at the time in the year long process that this whole chapter took, um, I would just say the chapter, the business wise, not the healing portion of it, uh, in that entire, I'm able to reflect back on it now and I can see where it took a turn. However, at the present moment in 2017, you're just, I was just going along for the ride. So what ended up happening was they did insinuate that they did need me to adjust certain things about my body. And so they did start asking me to lose weight and they did tell me that they required me in the next few rounds of videos that they'd be taking in their studio that they would need me in a sports bra. Um, whereas prior to, I had been doing these video calls just in a tank top. So of course this triggered a lot within me. Um, I will go a little bit deeper into my whole story in a little bit. Um, but I had dealt with eating disorders starting at age 14 and starting at age five was when I became aware of diet culture and the diet mentality, the entire construct of my reality at that point. Um, at my entire view of reality was I had to use food and exercise to control my body and my weight and my appearance, or else I would not be valued, valued, loved, worthy in society, um, in relationships. And I think that that is a societal construct that a lot of, a lot of, humans create for themselves. So I didn't know any other reality besides just using, um, 
food and exercise as a means of making myself as small as I possibly could. And so, yeah, and definitely had dealt with binge exercising disorder, compulsive exercising disorder in the past. However, in my late 20s, I had done a lot of, I would call it self-healing work on my own. Um, That being said, there was still a layer, clearly, that needed to be healed. So this triggered everything. Mm -hmm. This triggered a volcanic eruption, a volcanic eruption of disordered behavior. It was as if everything I had kind of healed from just came out with a vengeance. And it was also around this time that intermittent fasting became so popular. It was as if every thought leader, every podcast, every YouTube video, every book, um, every doctor was talking about it. It was all over Instagram. And I was just very curious about it. And I studied it. I read a lot about it, um, learned as much as I could. And then I decided to give it a shot. It started off innocently enough where I would just make sure I was done eating dinner by 6 p.m. And then I would eat breakfast at a normal time versus having dinner, say, around 8 or 9 p.m. And started off which, innocently Which is enough. very un-New York. I know. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes dinner would be me, you know, eating dinner before my entire evening of work. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, what ended up happening was, you know, then I started downloading some apps and the apps were in support of intermittent fasting and you could just set a timer on the app. And, um, then I played around with the whole 16, eight intermittent fasting, 16 hours of fasting, uh, 16 hours of fasting, with an eight hour eating window. So then if I would stop eating at 6 PM, I then would not allow myself to eat until the timer went off 16 hours later. So you can kind of see how aspects of control are coming in aspects of ignoring my intuition and my soul and my body and using my mental strength my mental willpower to override all my hunger cues, using my mental powers to override every aspect of what my body was telling me it needed um, because I can, I could control it. Why well, could control it with the app? It's like, oh, if the app timer does not go off, I am not eating. So things were starting to get a little bit controlling, a little bit rigid, a little bit regimented. And you were sliding and, down that slope. Yeah, that's when the slope kind of began. So in terms of when it really took a turn for the worse, uh, it was when I started to play around with 24 to 48 to three day mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. So then I started to read, well, and then also let's factor in, I was losing weight dramatically, dramatically losing weight. And I thought to myself, this is the answer. Like, this is the answer. I have never been able to change my body this quickly. Um, intermittent fasting is the key. Oh my gosh, I'm healing myself from the inside out. This was the body I was always meant to have and just really attaching my worth and value to my weight and became really addicted to how thin I was getting. So I became completely addicted to just getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. Um, meanwhile, in my own business, in my own brand, everything is just body positivity. It just, you, you are your body. Let's honor it and nurture it. On the inside, I was, um, 
I was a completely different, I was not practicing what I, what I preached. Um, and then, so what ended up happening was many, many months of meetings and auditions and meetings and auditions, and then meeting with the CEO and then more video auditions and then more meetings. And then every single time them telling me that I did need to still lose weight every single time. How much weight did you lose? Mm, so I lost close to 45 pounds in this interim. Yeah. Very quickly. Well, well, yeah. I thought you said when we spoke, I thought you said they wanted you to lose 15, but you mm-hmm. just, so they, they, they initially said that. And then every time I met with oh them, they God. still needed me to lose more. Yeah. And, and then and, the thing is, mm-hmm. here's the thing, even if they had not encouraged that, you would honestly, where I was at the time, your brain. I would have, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was, oh, I was gone, gone by that point. Yeah. I was brainwashed. Oh, I was completely brainwashed. Yeah. So can, I can, thought that intermittent fasting yeah. was religion. Everything yeah. I read, all the content I watched, everything was pro intermittent fasting. Um, everything I, I was so, I was so rigid that if I, if I ate something during a fasting window that I wasn't supposed to. So say if I just couldn't handle it and if I broke my fast, say an hour earlier, oh gosh, tying my morality to it. So all of a sudden I was a bad person. I was a failure. I was so attaching these big, strong morality words to it. Um, and it would just send me into an emotional spin, an emotional haywire. So completely. a question, did anyone... Were you with your husband at that time? Mm-hmm. Yes, was he I concerned? Was. Yeah. Were others around you or other people in the fitness world that know mm-hmm. you concerned that you were having this rapid so, weight loss? Here is the thing with eating disorders and disordered behavior. I was so good at hiding everything. The weight loss was so rapid and the, the language I was having with my husband was that this was the happiest I had ever been in my life. And my husband is so supportive and he knew how I was able to brainwash everyone, even mm-hmm. my husband into thinking that what I was doing was right. Okay. You're, you're, I'm so convincing when <laughs> I was, because I didn't know, I believed it myself. That's the thing. So how easy is it for me then to to then just say to my husband, no, this is totally normal. This so the, is- the question is, how tall are you? I'm five foot four. Okay. And, and mm-hmm. this it just gives the audience a reference point. What did you, you dropped 45. What did you get your mm-hmm. weight down to? What was your, your body count? Yeah, I got myself down to 122. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. And um, yeah. And I no longer <laughs> weigh myself. I no longer, okay. I no longer, um, weigh myself. I no longer am tied up in numbers. And so what ended up happening was the very final video audition. And this was in March Mm. of 2018, the very, very final video audition. I fasted three days leading up to it and had nothing to eat, but apple cider vinegar and water with some Himalayan pink sea salt, um, because the sea salt prevents you from fainting. Uh, I went into the audition and I did it. And it's just, it's this whole thing. You know, you've got 18 cameras around you and, right. 
and then found out a week later that I did not get it. And uh, it, at the same time as my heartbreaking because of that, my body also, I think that three day fast, actually that last one was what put me over the edge. So what happened was I just, I realized that I, I can't continue living like this. It's so controlling and restrictive. Um, everything was already starting to become off in my body. The big thing that I ignored was about six months prior, I had lost my period, which had never happened to me in my entire life. And my period just went away. Period just went away. It was just gone. And I just ignored it, even though that is that was such a red flag. And at the time, I just ignored it. And so that was when in the first week after I found out that I did not get the job, uh, I was completely devastated. And then it was also that week that I attempted to eat a little bit regularly again, Mm -hmm. just to get in a little bit more food. I, I knew I hadn't eaten much the week before and my body broke. My metabolism shut down. And in one, I remember in about three nights, I lost about one third of my hair. Um, so I was in the shower and I would be, my hair would be wrapping itself around my hands and, um, covering my hands, covering my wrists and form with just my hair coming out as I was showering because my body was so starved. So it was shutting down my reproductive system. It was shutting down my ability to grow hair. And it was the first thing your body does when you enter a starvation mode is it shuts down systems that are not crucial for your own survival. And the first one is the reproductive Mm -hmm. system, because that is actually not crucial for your own survival. And then it started letting go of what it didn't need. So it started letting go of its ability to keep and produce hair. And it also, um, it also, I believe my metabolism went into starvation mode and in my metabolism freaked out. And so when I did try to eat a little bit more, mm-hmm. my body became swollen and inflamed and it clung on to everything I ate for dear life. And within the course of just a few weeks, I had put on all the weight that I had lost and then some. Wow. And which also add, and then also because my hormones were so, um, my hormones were in such a bad place yeah, you were that, at that point. I was so depressed. Yeah. Um, because hormones, I believe, play such a big part, in, or I know they do. I had no estrogen in my body at that point. I had no, no, no serotonin in my brain. I the depression was um, so great. And then throw in how I was feeling and then throw in the fact that I had put back on all the weight and then some so fast when I had worked so hard to lose it. And I thought to myself, you know, death is a better option than this. And I hit a very, very dark place. And that was when I told my husband who this was devastating for. Um, I said, I, I have to get help. I have to get help because I can't. I can't live like this anymore. I cannot live like this anymore. Yeah. And then the healing journey began. (laughs) So that is how it all went down. Yeah. How do you feel about sharing this right now? Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling good. This is something I'm 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I, I, I so appreciate you sharing this because, um, and I'm going to bring Rob into the conversation in a moment, is that for so many women I work with, restrictive eating is, is part of the problem, and they don't even know they're doing it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I try to talk to women about a healthy BMI, that being at you know, 18% body fat is teetering on, on them not getting pregnant and having regular cycles. So finding that balance. So Rob, I, I wanna have you join the conversation and, and what would you like to contribute at this time? Yeah, absolutely, thank you. And um, Daphne, your story is, is um, so powerful and incredible. Um, and I applaud you for having the power and the strength to ask for help when you need it, because mm -hmm. that's such a big, big part of it is you get lost and you get trapped. Yeah. Um, just to kind of touch on that, my sister, when she was 14, this was in 2006, she started to, you know, have an interest in boys, started going through puberty and it's a natural thing as a young teenager. And being from a Sicilian household where, you know, we love pasta and we love bread and we love carbs and we love to eat. And, um, so we've always been on the thicker side of people and, uh, which is awesome when we love it. Um, but she started going to the gym and she started running for like 60, 65, 70, 75, up to like 90 minutes to two hours a day at 14 years old wow. for, I think like 10 weeks in a row. She didn't miss a day, a single day. And, uh, she started to have this crazy amount of weight loss and she went into menopause at 14 um, and like totally messed up all her hormones. And um, fast forward, my sister is 27 and in, master's, in a master's program at the University of Hawaii, um, but she's still on hormone regulating medication and it's a constant, constant balance of trying to find things. But she's, she's tweaked her diet. She's had to tweak a bunch of things, um, but it kind, of, it kind of jacked her all up from the beginning and just like the stigma of being in high school and being a teenager it was, it was, um, really profound on her and, um, having the feeling that she needed to, to change who she was and not being okay with her image. Um, which is part of the reason why I got into fitness in the first place was I was a heavier kid. I was very athletic, very talented, but I was super lazy and I didn't like to work out hard. Um, and I started to get bullied. Um, I started to get bullied and my dad got me a trainer uh, a woman by the name of Adrienne Ortiz, and she is fantastic. So I started working with her when I was 15. Um, I'm 29 now, and I went to her wedding in Mexico a couple of years ago. We still talk every, almost every day, if not every week. Um, and it was all about lifestyle was was her big was her big foundation, and that was something that kind of really resonated with me. And she um, helped me get stronger, get faster, get into better shape, and um, but through the right way, like not, we didn't do any crazy dieting. It was, she was like, you're a kid, go eat, like go eat chicken fingers or go eat pizza. Um, so just, just that kind of thing moving forward is, is, uh, it's all a mindset and it's all how, where her foundation was, but kind of going on to what you talked about was your body started to shut down, right? The, the body's number one interest, um, is self-preservation, yes, right? It's in the whole thing with anything in life. It's either you're designed for one of two things. It's either self-preservation or for reproduction, right? And humans, number one is, is self-preservation. So you start to shut down. Um, and how that relates to nutrition, right, is when you start to shut down, 
right? Your body wants to hold on to things that's going to allow it, right, to survive when it needs to. So you're, when you gain weight and your body has fat stores, that is either carbohydrates or fats, right? So when your body doesn't eat frequently or it doesn't eat in a long time and it starts to feel like it's starving, then it wants to hold on to those things, translating forward into protein, which is one of the most important things that your body can eat, is your body does not store protein. It cannot create protein reserves, um, which is why eating protein is such an important thing that women, I think, miss. Yes. Um, because there's, there's such a stigma, whether you want to call it positive or negative or misguided, there's such a stigma with protein translating to big bulky muscles. And backtracking into hormones is women lack not lack, they have a lot less naturally occurring free testosterone in their bodies. And that testosterone levels is what allows men to grow bigger muscles than women do. So eating protein isn't going to make you big and bulky. It's the free testosterone. But what protein does is it allows you to keep so many different bodily functions active, performing, and your hair and your nails and your teeth all and neurotransmitters. neurotransmitters. You need those amino acids for the 100%. production of neurotransmitters. 100%. And when I was uh, talking to Rob the other day, you know, we were discussing how much protein, and you probably go through this with clients. I don't feel women get enough protein into their world. And what I try to do, because I do vast nutritional counseling trying to help women balance their hormones from infertility to PCOS. I try to get them to aim for a gram of protein for every, you know, uh, pound of, pound lean, of, body of lean body mass. And I try to have women aim for like 25, 30 grams of protein at least with their meals. So do you want to comment on that? Because so many times what I see are the muffins or maybe like you know, one egg in the morning. I mean, do you want to comment on protein? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think nourishment, nourishment is key. And I do think that a big aspect of, well, something that was just touched upon was uh, this fear of this quote unquote, big bulky muscles, yes. mm -hmm. which is about society and women valuing a certain type of body. Mm -hmm. So many people in society view that as if a female were to look like that, she's not as feminine, she's not mm -hmm. as attractive, she's not as worthy, she's not as sexy. And so there's that fear. Um, and so you get, you hear sentences, and I absolutely heard this in the personal training world, where a gal will say something along the lines of, but I don't want to bulk up. Mm -hmm. I just want to get toned. <laughs> and to, yeah, I just yeah, want to get yeah, toned. toned. Right. I just want to get sculpted and I just want to, I just want to, uh, tone this up or I want to tone <laughs> that up. And so the, what gets me first is, okay, well, that's you really placing value on another type of body. And so what does that mean you think about others? If you do notice that they are of a different build than what your ideal is. So that's a pretty big, um, kind of societal question is just valuing certain body types, valuing different types of bodies. So saying one type is better than the other. So this whole notion of like protein and bulkiness and like, mm. oh, um, uh, you know, we don't want to bulk up. We don't want to get too big. 
it's a misguided association. Yeah, the first thing I do is I challenge the woman, like, well, where is that coming from? Okay, mm-hmm. where is that coming from? <laughs> right? Yeah. The internet, society, their parents, their school groups, their peer groups. A lot of this social is media. also... Yeah, social media. And then also a lot of it is ingrained in into the mind, honestly, between the ages of one and seven. By the ages of one and seven, so many of our beliefs are are kind of there. And so what I tell people is, you know, in terms of protein, um, I don't even say like, oh, you know, you, you won't, you, you won't bulk up. You won't, I just say you have to nourish your body. You have to nourish your body. And then whatever form it takes upon you nourishing your body, you have to be okay with that. Get over yourself. (laughs) So in terms of protein, I, I don't go for I don't necessarily in my work really aim for a gram. I have my clients and my students, I have them really listen to their bodies. And I have, I try to work with them on getting attuned and in tune with their bodies. And then sure enough, when they actually do that, when they actually go deep into their souls and into their bodies and really think about and listen to them and, and really feel what their body is telling them they want to eat all of a sudden, yeah, I, I when so I eat it. Yes. And mm-hmm. when I had a client that came in the other day and she's expecting she's due in about six weeks. And she was she said suddenly when she added a, a couple of more rice pea protein, she's about six two protein shakes during the day. She said it just changed everything. She said, my God, I didn't realize my body was craving protein. When I work with women, I don't think in terms of grams, I try to generally have them think about, you know, what's on the plate. Make sure mm-hmm. that the protein is like the size of the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. Your body kind of knows what it needs. Like if I have a heavy mm-hmm. workout, I'll be a little more Fred Flintstone that day. You know, I'll know mm-hmm. that I need a little more protein and that can be chicken, it can be fish, it could be an additional, and I'm not a real protein shake person, but sometimes as a snack, I'll throw that in. I'm more savory. I'd rather have a snack of, you know, a chili than mm. having like crackers and hummus. And coming from a background myself of recovery from an eating disorder, for me, I just want to help women get unbelievably excited about being in good health, being good mothers to themselves, learning that eating right is a way of just nurturing who they are yes. and feeling comfortable around food. So I'm not about the calories. Amen. I don't yeah. do the calorie shit at all. I do have a sense when I work with women, I don't talk about the grams. I try to give them in portion size, or if I feel they need more, I try to give them, I try to say, you know, why not consider a snack a cup of chicken stew? Or, uh, you know, if they want to do an additional uh, protein shake. But I do get very concerned with the interval fasting. I, you know, I would like there's, to touch on that one. Yeah, please. Uh, you know, we have all these type of diets out there. And again, it's trying to bring people back and women to a place of just becoming friends with the food that they eat, eating eating a lot of healthy vegetables and produce and meat, basically, and, and fish, and just going back to a way of eating that existed a couple of generations ago. We didn't have that yeah. middle aisle food that people mm-hmm. have been getting hooked on, which I think really screws around with our with our brains. So you wanted and, to touch... Yeah, you, yeah I'm sorry. Or, or just to, to, to wrap this up yeah. before we... 
talk a little bit more about intermittent fasting. Um, you, you touched upon something so beautiful just now, and you said that it is possible and it is important for people to understand that, that these foods and, and health, it's a way of nourishing your body, nourishing your mind, nourishing your soul, nourishing your spirit, and not a means to just lose weight or make yourself look a certain way or live in a rigid boundaries and live living in a rigid construct in which you you begrudgingly have to be healthy because society says you have to be quote unquote healthy um it's a joyful process and it's a joyful yeah and I think with movement as well with exercise Mm -hmm. um cultivating that positive relationship with exercise so it becomes something awesome that finding things that you love doing. Um, and so, yeah, I loved what you just said about how this health is a way to nurture yourself and to show you how much you love yourself. And being, you know, I look at exercise and movement as very young in nature. We need that. It's, it's, you know, moving forward, but to allow us to move in life and to expand, we have Mm -hmm. to nourish the yin. And the yin Mm -hmm. is through the food that we eat. It's the restorative time of sleep. It's the recovery time from our workouts. It's sometimes taking a a break from workouts for a week or so and then just getting back into it. So for me, my whole philosophy is how do men and women become good mothers to themselves? I used to have an office in New York, one of my treatment rooms. It was clay pink. And one time this, one of my clients, Wall Street guy comes in. He's like, your room is pink. I said, it's to bring out the goddess in you. It's, it's <laughs> because for all of us, I, I, it's, it's a balancing act. We need the balance of through food, through nurturing movement, through nurturing recovery. Can we find balance in our lives? Yeah. So, Amen. yeah. I think that's a good segue, if you don't mind. Um, Yeah, that's what I mean. When we were talking about doing this podcast, um, you asked me what one of the most important things for women was when it relates to exercise, and my answer to you was balance. Um, So touching on this as it relates to intermittent fasting, intermittent means on and off. It doesn't mean every single day, all the time, every time, right? Um, so it's something that is extremely, again, another misguided association, another misinterpreted association of something where like protein gives you big bulky muscles. No, it does not. Intermittent fasting should be directly correlated to, in my opinion, and I have done this with all my clients and whatever it is, is your off days, right? Intermittent fasting, right? is kind of an extension or an extreme of a nutrient timing or a nutrient window that I like to call, um, where you give yourself a, a time window to eat and then you don't eat outside that time window, right? Let's, let's say you want a 12-hour window. You eat from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. You mm-hmm. can get all of your meals and calories in that, in that time. And then you don't eat outside 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And what that does is it just prevents that late-night snack Mm-hmm. It prevents that binge eating or that extra, you know, that extra bowl of dessert or ice cream if you're me. <laughs> Go start the next episode. I'm like, oh, one more scoop of mint chocolate chip is not going to kill me that bad. Um, <laughs> and it does. It always wakes up and it's on my hips. But 
intermittent fasting requires for you to be in a fasted state, right? So if you eat your last meal at 7 p.m., as soon as you eat the last bite on your plate, you put the plate away, you're not fasting. You're going to take your body, depending on what you ate and the size of your person, between three and four hours to fully break down and digest all of that food. Once that happens, then you are in a fasted state, right? Mm -hmm. So if you eat at seven... And let's just say in four hours, you've fully processed and digested all that food. Now at 11 p.m., your body is empty or fasting, right? So if you eat from 11 then from eleven until your next meal is at 7 a.m., that's an eight-hour window that you fasted and not. So it's I'm not saying intermittent fasting is horrible or bad. I think it's, one, it's done wrong. And I two, I think it's, in a, it's, it's mistimed a lot. Right, eating and exercise are direct should be directly related, right? It's, and the analogy I always make that resonates with people is, you can't drive your car unless you put gas in it. Absolutely. So if you're going to go on a long road trip, you need to fuel up. If you're not going to drive anywhere, you don't need to go put gas in your car. So on the days that you are exercising and training, should not be a day that you intermittent fast. It should be a day that you eat small, balanced, regular meals, you know, appropriately timed throughout the day, every two and a half to four hours. You should be either snacking or getting a meal in, something to keep your metabolism going. On an off day where you're recovering and you're not going to train, where you're going to go to a more lower intense type of exercise instead of a hit or a spin or cycle class, and you're going to go to a yoga or Pilates or something that's less physically demanding, that requires less energy, that is a day where you should be intermittent fasting, your caloric intake. Well, when you're saying intermittent, intermittent fasting on those days, what do you mean? That 12-hour period? Yeah, so like let's say... I actually, if I can, sure. um, I try to, and I'd love you to join in on this, Daphne. I try to get people, if ideally, to have to stop eating around six or seven. I think that's realistic. I want to be able to have a window of three hours, four hours before when they go to bed, between bedtime and eating, and then when they get up in the morning. Um, and I think it gives, it, it also, it gives the body a chance to recover because I, I just, uh, because sometimes what happens, people start eating at six o'clock in the morning and then they're still eating at nine and 10 o'clock at night. So what is your You'll take on it? You'll see that in the bodybuilder world a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I don't even call it intermittent fat. I mean, I guess it is. I, but I, I see, I'm, I'm jumping a bit. I get concerned with women that come in to see me and they're just eating two meals a day in a six to eight hour period and their period is off, they're not feeling right. So what's your relationship around, I don't even want to call it intermittent fasting for the moment. I just want yeah. to, and I'm not negating yeah. you. You're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there is a ton of research that supports the benefits of giving your body a little bit of a break from right. digesting absolutely. and processing food. Yeah, absolutely. Allowing it to go into... Um, uh, uh, allowing it to go into a state where the the body gets a chance to rest from digestion mm -hmm. and it can focus some of that energy towards repairing cells, re repairing right. things that need to be repaired. And so the, the beauty of it is what I do really appreciate about the the, the conversation having come up around intermittent fasting is that it is, I think, if anything, bringing to light humans' intuitions. So the reason why I say this is because sometimes I feel that um, 
people do not eat intuitively. And what I like about intermittent fasting is it's saying if you're actually not hungry, you don't have to eat that. Like if you are not actually hungry for, say, your 9 p.m. snack, you don't have to eat that. Or if you're right. not actually hungry for your um, the whatever. So say so I'm just I'm going to use an example. Mm-hmm. I had a client who was on a program, a weight management diet program, like some food delivery situation. And she said to me, uh, oh yeah. So by nine o'clock, like I wasn't even hungry, but I still ate the, the chocolate protein bar because it was on the plan. I was like, so do you see how unintuitive that is? You were done. You're probably tired that day. You were ready to go to bed, but because your meal plan said you could, a could have this thing and B you had to do this plan perfectly and C, um, and, and see, you know, it, it's, you probably felt like it was some reward, but you didn't really want it. Like you didn't actually want it mentally, emotionally, yet, yet you still ate it. I was like, do you see how unintuitive that is? And she was, I could see the wheels in her head turning. So the reason why I'm equating this to intermittent mm-hmm. fasting, she could have easily just stopped eating dinner at seven o'clock that night. And had she right. just listened to her intuition and what her body was telling her, she could have easily just gone into some type of fasted window at that said, mm-hmm. but she chose not to. Or I always think of the mornings in which someone might not be hungry. And then people are taught now to kind of force feed themselves breakfast. And um, so the human body was, if you think back to caveman and cavewoman, it was pretty a intuitive and it was b pretty intermittent. It was when they had food, they would eat the food. Right. Um, and when they, when they didn't have food, they, they didn't eat. And so what I appreciate about intermittent fasting and the, the science that supports it and the research that supports it is that there are benefits to it. And I'm really happy we're having this episode because I think it's so important for us to talk about to kind of view both sides of the coin to, to talk about, um, yeah, you know, it is, it is nice to have kind of a 12 hour window in which Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not, um, you know, digesting food. You sleep better when you maybe aren't eating up until you go to bed. But if all of a sudden you're eating, breathing, sleeping, living your life by an app on your phone and not allowing yourself to eat because you have you have set too many rigid boundaries or if you actually are starving and you choose not to eat because the app on your phone, the timer has not gone off yet. That that's is a problem. What, that is, I so, think that's why this topic of conversation is so important. And upon my recovery process beginning, I've connected with so many thought leaders and other authors in the other realm who have, also had experiences with intermittent fasting and have studied how with certain people. And so I'm not saying that this will happen to everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that this specifically happened to me, but it happened for a reason. And it happened because it triggered behaviors that had developed since I was three, that I I believe the universe sent this, this, um, 2017 experience into my stratosphere because I think the universe said, okay, this is the last layer of healing you need. And if you want to live the rest of your life, finally free of this, I have to do this to you now, and it's for your own good. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but now I reflect back on this chapter with great fondness, and I'm so, so grateful. It was, it's the best thing that could have ever happened to me was the complete physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual breakdown 
of my soul. So I think that it's so important to talk about intermittent fasting and to not, I, I love how in this episode, we're not like bashing it. We are, no, I, it's, we are it's, it's, talking it's, about like the um, balance, normal, the balance. Nobody yeah, did the balance. intermittent. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I look at my generation, I look at my parents' generation. Nobody talked about in, intermittent fasting. You had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And maybe after dinner, you had a piece of fruit. That's how I grew up. But I think part of this intermittent fasting thing, I think because Americans eat so much processed food, 78% of America or 75% is overweight. So the question I feel, and we could go on and on about this, and is finding a way to create a healthy relationship with food. I want to touch on something important, and that's breakfast. I, my world, if I work out, I have breakfast before I work out. And I find that a lot of women who, you know, go to a HIIT class or do an Orange Theory, and we have a client that we know, um, they don't feel well. And I, so what is your take on uh, whether it be a protein shake or something uh, balanced in the morning before a workout. Mm-hmm. So this as opposed is to going on to an sound, empty stomach. <laughs> yeah, this is going to sound really interesting, but whatever works best for that individual, in all honesty, right? So I think I, I think that every body is a little bit different, and I do think that, of course, fueling and feeding is is critical. I mean, that is something I obviously mm-hmm. stand for is nourishment and and fueling and, you know, food is so awesome. Um, that being said, you know, in terms of, uh, what I will say is, um, it's, it's gas in your tank. Yes. And (laughs) and in my, in, in, in my clinical experience, because I work with so many women that have hormonal issues and blood sugar issues and insulin resistance and are of childbearing years, even if they may not want children, it's to balance the hormones, to make sure that progesterone, which is important to the second half of your cycle to hold a potential pregnancy, it is a balancing hormone. It keeps estrogen in check. So when a woman's blood sugar is dipping and diving, she shunts progesterone down stress pathways. What that translates into during her cycle is PMS, heavy cramping, tender breast. She's estrogen dominant. So I always... And I, I feel like I'm the, the, the mother hen of all the, the women that come to see me. I, I'm, I'm pretty, I think breakfast is important. I've actually found that the women that I work with, I encourage like a stew or a soup. You know, I think influenced, I spent time in Vietnam a few decades ago and I worked in a hospital and clinic. And in the morning they sat down in front of me a bowl of this like soup with rice and fish and veggies. That changed my world. And I feel that starting the day with a nourishing meal has made an astonishing difference Mm. in so many of the women I work with from putting on muscle to losing weight. Again, it's, you know, I I, just in my world, I think it's important to start the day. And I know it's not written in stone, but I find that in, in my, you know, my client base, it changes the world. I'll use myself and my older sister as an example. So growing up in California, my older sister, who is 
I, I love how just intuitive she is and how none of this was ever a part of her world, which Mm -hmm. I am so grateful for. Um, because really I, I, I think ultimately getting everyone to this place of just kind of love and and nurture and just Mm -hmm. true, true self-care of their health, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritual is key. And so my older sister, I'm so grateful for her because she was always this kind of like guiding light in my body of like, Oh my God, in my soul of like, Oh wow. Is that what it's like to just be really kind of free of all this? So let's talk about breakfast. When we were growing up, um, when we were teenagers. So by this point in time, I mean, my, my disordered behaviors were, were pretty, pretty extreme. And so I would skip breakfast or I would eat something along the lines of one nature Valley granola bar, because I could (laughs) take a look at the package and I could see exactly like, okay, I had 160 calories. I'm like, okay. And then, and then I'll have a little Ziploc baggie of grapes and then I'll have like you know, at like 11 AM. And then for lunch I'll have, you know, my celery sticks. And so it was just insane by that point. So we'll talk like sophomore year ish. And meanwhile, my older sister for breakfast, she always, always would heat up a bowl of rice and meat and vegetables and like whatever leftovers. And I come from a Chinese family. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's always really great home cooking, um, and she would have that for breakfast. And in my mind, I'd be like, how can she eat that? <laughs> and I remember also her energy, my energy levels during school would plummet, plummet. I remember trying to get through second period and falling asleep at my desk as a sophomore. It was because my blood sugar was just so, it had dipped so low. Um, and then meanwhile, look at this big substantial breakfast that my older sister ate. And of course I didn't think about this until like years and years and years later. And my older sister to this day has, is so healthy and not to place value on any certain physique or body type. Um, she has always been a tiny human <laughs> and she ate food, you know, she, did not, she did not ever do anything but listen to what her body needed at the time and her body needed breakfast, <laughs> right? So, um, so I think that's, that's an example I highlight for people who are intentionally not eating before a workout. Um, and then I used to say this to people and I'll kind of touch upon this now, but. And I want to have Rob wake join up, us in a, in a moment on this mm-hmm. too. Yeah. If people wake up in the morning So this is something I used to say, although once again, um, and the work I do now is I I know I've used this word intuitive a lot. And so working, working in this world of, um, kind of deep spirituality as well. Uh, so I used to always tell my clients, I would say, well, if you are not hungry in the morning, that means you ate too late at night and you have to give yourself a cutoff time. Now I wouldn't use that language. I wouldn't use that language now, but I would say something along the lines of, um, you know, if someone wakes up in the morning and they're still kind of full from the night before, uh, that's not the end of the world. (laughs) 
But, you know, if you maybe tried for the sake of your digestion, for the sake of your health, for the sake of your quality of sleep, and for the sake of your energy levels in the morning, not for the sake of your quote unquote skinniness, you could try eating dinner a little bit early so that you can wake up, feel hungry, have some food and then go work out. So that's, that's where Daphne lives right now. So we're going to be winding up in a little bit and I would love to hear, uh, so what's your take on breakfast? Um, (laughs) I love breakfast, but I, you know, I'm, I'm actually not the kind of person that likes to eat before I go work out. And, but again, it, it depends on how long I wake up before I go exercise. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to try to go to a a. 5am or a 615 class, if I'm not eating like 90 minutes or two hours before, I, I'm, I'd rather just not eat. It'll make it, and that could be this, this from half an apple to a, like a chewy granola bar mm-hmm. or something simple. I mean, it doesn't matter what I'm gonna. I just my body does not like it. I feel heavy and I feel um, sluggish when I eat before I go train, um, unless I have two or more hours, mm-hmm. and that's just my personal preference. And some people, my girlfriend likes to eat. She would rather eat half of, half of a bar or something. And she feels better going into mm-hmm. a workout that way. No matter what though, we always eat after we exercise. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we're, if we're morning, yeah, if we're, if we're going to get a workout into the morning, it's, it's back to what Daphne said is it's whatever works best for you, right? There's, there is no 100% black and white clear cut answer for every single person. It's, what works better for you, but no matter what you do need to eat after you train, um, on days that we don't exercise in the morning, if we're going to exercise later mm-hmm. today, back to what Daphne touched on, are you hungry? <laughs> if you're not hungry, then you don't have to eat. Um, not right away at least, you know, but if you do plan on exercising later in the day, then yeah, you need to get your day going with something. I, what I see and with women. And again, I'm getting women coming in because I want to balance her hormones and it's they're from PCOS to, you know, amenorrhea. Um, I encourage women before a workout, even do a small protein shake, Mm -hmm. get a little, you know, MTC oil or a little avocado. They can do a rice pea protein, even a small shake, or they can do a beef protein, which I think is, it tastes Designs for Health makes a fabulous chocolate and vanilla uh, uh, beef protein. Um, and then when they come home, they can eat. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, I find that the women, the population that I work with, they do better with having something in their stomach. And I think yeah. a small liquid protein shake is a great way to start. And then again, yeah, eating something protein, when they finish. Protein is a, is a macromolecule, so it's bigger. So it's meat, so it's yeah. going to be more complex to digest. Absolutely. So if, if, if something like that before you, before is going to feel like you're going to slow down, I encounter this. Um, I, encourage, I have to eat before I work yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I encourage um, like an amino acid blend, like some branched and BCAA powder mm-hmm. for intra-workout. Right, so when you break protein down from a macromolecule into micromolecules, you break it down into amino acids, those branched-chain amino acids. So mm-hmm. they make branched-chain amino acid yeah. powders that are really good to take intra-workout, right? If you're not 
going to get be comfortable getting a protein shake in. You feel like it's going to slow you down, which it does for well, me. Well, I would I also be taking a look at somebody's digestion and gut if they're feeling tired after eating. That's another, for me, that's what I would be looking at. Yeah. Why definitely. is someone feeling tired after a meal? You shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So that's, that to me gives me information. Yeah. Um, but I want to have you guys back. I would love to, um, you know, continue the conversation. This has been very profound. What would you like to close with? And I'd love for you to think of something to share with us. Uh, what would you In like closing, mm-hmm. um, if I could have some, anybody take anything away from this, it's yeah. don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, the smartest people in this world will be the first ones to tell you that they don't know everything. If you're struggling mm-hmm. with something or you're not sure, go talk to somebody. Don't, you know, try to use the internet to your advantage. You know, if you can do some good research, but if you're struggling with weight loss, it's okay that you don't have to figure it out by yourself. That's why people like us exist, right? Yes. You and me, Daphne are in this world to shed light on that pathway. Mm-hmm. So above all else, listen to your body. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Thank you, Rob. Mm. Amen. Amen to that. (laughs) And my love, what Mm. would you like to share? I I always tell people, um, you know, when I share my story, uh, which, which now I'm, I, I, I really love using it as a tool to help other people. I view it as, yeah, it was a a big chapter, a big part of me. Mm. And I love how I actually don't really let it define me. It's really cool now in 2020, um, after going through the healing process and it was really mentally, physically, emotionally, Mm. spiritually, like I'm talking, we had to get the therapist, the endocrinologist, the acupuncturist, the chiropractors, the functional medicine doctors. I had literally a team of seven. There was seven, a mix of doctors and health practitioners and coaches and therapists Mm -hmm. who I was like, (laughs) I need help. So, you know, to, so yes, to take away, ask for help. Um, so, you know, whenever I share my story, it is really intended to, to help others if they are going through something even remotely similar to a not feel so alone. And to also highlight that, um, with intermittent fasting, I, I don't blame it at all. I don't blame it. And I don't blame the fitness company, I believe fully that it was my healing path Mm -hmm. and that although intermittent fasting, I would never deem it as like the devil or as anything negative. I would just deem it as in my particular experience, it triggered for me what needed to be triggered. And so my, my closing thought is your body is so smart. And when you listen to it, it tells you what it needs, what she needs, what yes. he needs. Um, and then when it comes to food, to cultivate a beautiful relationship with it, where you view it as delicious nourishment um, and to release morality. So it not punish yourself and to not connect like bad or good to certain, uh, you know, behaviors and food types. And with movement, to also let that be a place of intuition and to find things you love and to release this rigidity that a lot of us have felt pressure from on a societal level um, in terms of 
movement to release that rigidity to it and to to choose to do it versus feeling like we are obligated to do it. And by feeling like we have the choice and we have the power to choose the foods and the movement that we love, Mm -hmm. I think that's also a huge part of health. What I love about Rob and what I hear in you, and I can't wait to take a class with you when I'm up in New York in, in the next couple of months, is that I feel that people feel safe in your class, that they yeah. can do the workout and have <laughs> a really good workout and not walk away injured. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that, by the way, um, that you're really, you, you hold the space for people to have a really full, rich workout and feel empowered and filled and motivated with energy and possibility. And it's you people that, you know, um, that really make a difference in the world. And and I feel that what I do for individuals is guide them to show them that food is medicine and is really powerful stuff and it gives them the fuel that they need. And you're right, to honor and listen to that inner voice and to get people excited about the whole journey of life. Really, that's what it's about. And just to share on on a note, I had the most amazing piece of banana cream pie on Saturday night, and I enjoyed every bite. It was wonderful. (laughs) I took my digestive enzymes to deal with the dairy, but it was great. (laughs) So, uh, you know, and that's important for people to feel that they can, you know, enjoy themselves and have a really yummy dessert or do something that's kind of 80% of the time eating well, I think is really there. So I want to thank the both of you for joining me today. And um, I want to extend to everyone listening, I hope that they were able to get some really wonderful information uh, um, out of this. Daphne, uh, can you tell people more about your studio. I can probably include that in the description if people want to take a class. Absolutely. So people can find out all the Mm -hmm. information on me uh, on my website, which is daphneyang.com or on my Instagram, which is at defined by Daphne and Daphne spelt with an I E. Mm -hmm. And so here in New York, I teach a whole bunch of classes all week long um, at two studios. One's called the Sweat Shed Studio, and the other one is my own workout that I developed many moons ago called Hit It. Uh, and I operate that business out of the Athleta Flatiron Studio on Fifth Avenue. So mm. that's my jam. So if anyone's ever in New York and wants to come play, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob, you uh, you're are you the head coach over at Orange Theory in Mount Pleasant? or I am. I'm the head coach for the Mount Pleasant Orange Theory Studio. Um, I teach anywhere from 18 to 23 classes a week. Um, but I also do one-on-one personal training and nutritional counseling on the side as well. Um, That's pretty awesome. And how can people reach you if they want to uh, train with you? Uh, the best way would probably be through social media, uh, through my Instagram uh, it's at OT Coach Rob. Pretty simple. Um, just shoot me a message. My profile is public. Uh, I'm happy to talk to you about anything you want to know. Signing off, I want to thank everyone for listening today. Any questions, if you would like to work with me, reach out to me on uh, Instagram at the Hormone Lifestyle Zone, or you can shoot me an email at megrichichi at gmail.com. Feel free to uh, subscribe on Spotify and iTunes. And until next time, be well and rock this world. Take care.